This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way. Except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. gonna not i think we're just gonna do the i think we're just gonna do the podcast you think should we yeah yeah hello everybody and welcome to the great american scream my name is devin wright my name is adam o'connell welcome back everybody welcome back today is episode two of the internet horror series Episode three it's episode three it's episode three i've been so spooked that i forgot the order of the episodes selectively forgot the second one that we did which you hosted by the way oh that's all i don't remember a single part of recording that that is that was a fever dream devin was possessed was by the, the demon devin was possessed by the demon pazuzu for the entirety of recording that episode and has no <laughs> recollection that any of it happened which is the same demon that possesses you every time you host yeah it's just i got him for a week just for a little bit it was a a rental program. It's like Blockbuster, but for demons, which is a concept I'm going to write down and copyright right now. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you put a note. Uh, trademark, trademark, trademark. Trademark, we own trademark. Demon Buster. Why don't we get into what we're talking about today in the last scary, scary part of the internet? And by yes. no means have we explored everything in the internet that is scary, but this is the last thing that we'll talk about for now. Yeah, we haven't covered uh, monopolies or copyright law, so there's still definitely some scary stuff about the internet that we can talk about. Yeah, or the the prem- the entire premise of catfishing. But for today, oh, <laughs> but for today, we are going to strap in our elementary and middle school safety belts because we are yes. going back to creepypasta. Creepypasta.gov. <laughs> the government agency of creepypasta. <laughs> We're going to go through a brief history of a couple of genres of creepypasta and kind of how they came to be on the internet. We'll get to highlight a couple of our favorites or ones that maybe we remembered fondly as a child and then went back and read to do a podcast episode and and realized they weren't that good. There are poopy bad ones. Yeah. Um, If you do not know what a creepypasta is, welcome. I'm so glad you bought a computer. (laughs) But it is a scary story that circulates through the internet and then gets copied and pasted on different forums or websites, hence the term uh, creepypasta, which comes from copypasta, which is like a fun little wordplay on copy and paste. Yes. Um, Yeah. So uh, creepypastas came up in the kind of late aughts, early teens of the of this the 21st century i don't know i said it like that and they eventually like there is a creepypasta wiki uh that tries to catalog all the uh different creepypastas but they come from all over the internet whether it's like reddit uh like no sleep the subreddit or uh 4chan all the all those lovely dark corners of the internets yeah, and that's what I think is really cool about creepypastas is that they are original stories or original adaptions of stories that are just posted by amateur writers of any variety on the internet. And they kind of had this, have this shared collaborative quality about them because 
no one person, except for maybe some, say for some of the bigger, more well-known creepypastas, but no uh, one person kind of owns the copyright of a creepypasta. And therefore, like, we as the culture of the internet are able to add to the story and change the story to kind of have this shared urban legend of a sorts um, that these creepypastas yeah. become. Yeah, it's definitely the internet version of, like, oral tradition that they yeah. uh, take on a life of their own and they get like whole worlds of lore built around them when they're good. And when they're bad, they're uh, about uh, Peter Griffin killing his family or something. They still get whole worlds of lore painted around them. It's just yes. dependent on the source material. And uh, if any of these interest you, be sure to check out creepypasta.com or the creepypasta wiki um, where they've got full versions of literally thousands of stories of every horror sub genre that you could possibly think of. And just as a quick content warning for this episode, these, as these are horror stories and the internet is a very horrifying place. Um, there are a few of these stories discuss things like suicide, murder, gore, and other psychological mayhem. So as always, viewer discretion is advised for both listening to this episode and going and reading them. Yes. And, uh, as I've started doing, there are uh, labels for what we're talking about in the metadata of this podcast. So if you want to uh, skip around and only listen to certain stories, uh, you can probably guess by the names of them, which ones are going to be super gory and which ones are not. Uh, so Yeah, they're not hard books to read. So um, yeah. it's it's kind of weird to say, like, where do creepypastas come from? Because at their core, it's just a scary story. And we do not have the time, nor the knowledge, nor the space to go through the history of written oral storytelling. Yeah. That is not our discussion. Yeah, that's but, for the Great American History book, our yeah, second but, podcast. As far as uh, the idea of where this specific kind of medium of circulating scary stories on the internet comes from, um, I always think back to it as when you first, like when you were first on the, your first email address, uh, Denim, yes. what was your N first email? Uh, nyyanksfan98 at AOL.com. <laughs> Somebody want to blow up my spot? Fill my inbox. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could remember what my first email was. You uh, don't remember? I, no, I think it was... I believe it was Rose 11707 because I thought that was fun because it rhymed. Yeah. But, so and in your inbox of this email, you started to receive chain letters, which chain letters have been around since the Internet began in the 1990s. Yes. Um, so most of them are kind of forwarded jokes or scams, something where you would get from your grandpa, like forward, 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 forward. Great joke about dogs. And also America is dying. Yeah. Um, but on occasion, you would get one of the ones that were like a scary story about a ghost that possessed someone through their computer. And then you had to forward it to 13 people or she would come through your window that night and you would die. Yes. We did those like over text in like middle yeah. school on our oh, LG and V2s. I forgot yeah. that people would text those too. But so I also think that um, kind of fake virus alerts are also adjacent yeah. of this genre because they're not meant to be horror stories but they are meant to scare you and what is a a horror thing but a fake fictional thing that is meant to scare you yeah yeah I, I feel like creepypastas like walk the line of a really interesting like it's a fusion of like the 
fan fiction world and the uh and also like the blog world uh because a lot of them are couched as like the the internet equivalent of found footage like it's a blog it's their blog posts and also the like chain letter chain mail kind of uh subgenre of internet content yeah and i think one of the coolest things about creepypasta as being separate from like horror novels or horror movies is that for most film and novel you you can pick up a Stephen King book and read it and go this is a story and in my brain I know it, it is fiction and in within like the book's universe it is fiction but the assumption with creepy pastas most of the time is that whatever you're reading is real right uh, the believability factor of that is much different now that we are twenty one year olds uh, rather than fifteen year olds but yes as a as a basis in an- analyzing these yes <laughs> I agree. All right. Do you want to get into it? Yeah, there is an article from the Daily Dot that identifies the first what we consider a creepypasta to be Ted the Caver, which was posted on Angel Fire in 2001. Ooh. Now, that's a very old fashioned sentence. I don't think I even know what Angel Fire is. I think it's like a uh, like a GeoCities. Let me. Hey, Google. Hey, Google. Oh, it says it's a village in New Mexico. Oh, so it was, this originated from a village Somebody in New Mexico. Somebody nailed it to a telephone pole. Like Martin Luther, but for creepypasta. <laughs> so, Ted, Ted the Caver, the modern day Martin Luther. But so Ted the Caver, uh, it is was a short horror story that followed the story of Ted as he and his friends explore a very spooky cave system. Oh my God. That was that's about the gist of it. Like, it's a great story. Go on and read it. I didn't choose to dive into it too much, but go. uh, It's everywhere on the Internet. So go read it. Why didn't they call him the Spelunker? Like, why did (laughs) why did they say caver? Caver is not a word. Spelunker, I think, inherently takes out the scariness of it. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen The Descent, but I don't even know in that movie if they say the word spelunking, even though that's what they're doing, because it is inherently a very silly word. Yeah, and very fun. It kind of gives the promise of jewels and gemstones. Yeah, (laughs) and not scary underground vampire monsters. Yeah. They've kind of become what... Our version of an urban legend, like our Candyman, our Bloody Mary, sort of things that, yes, now that we are 22 years old, recognize as a fictional story from our childhoods. But for most of our childhoods and for a lot of people through their teens, it became a very real thing yes. or something you were very afraid that was real. Right. And even if like you were 13 and you're like, I know this isn't real, but what if like, yeah, it's very much that. So what's our what? How are we going to couch this episode? What's our what's our format? So I wanted to dive into a, a couple of the most popular or most prevalent genres or subgenres of creepypasta, because you see a lot of common trends in a lot of them um, that you can kind of divide into these categories. And the ones that I've listed here by no means encompass all of the subgenres of creepypasta. Right. In fact, this is a very small selection, but this is kind of where a lot of the most popular ones kind of fall into. All right. What's our, and, what's our first one? Well, one that we're not going to talk about in depth for yes. obvious reasons is the ritual game creepypasta because we have dedicated not yeah, one, we done did that. but two whole episodes to ritual <laughs> games and probably more. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, 
You should, yeah. because they're great. Pause the podcast right now. Go over, uh, give us a little rate and review, and then listen to the Ritual Games Part 1 and 2, and then come back. We'll wait. Are you back? All right. So... <laughs> I'm so excited. Thank you. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back. But so, uh, and B, a ritual creepypasta is usually instructions or directions or the recounting of playing some kind of scary game. So going back to what we talked about in the ritual games episode, stuff like the Midnight Man, the Man in the Fields, you can compare them to kind of like a Bloody Mary uh, situation. Right. So we won't dive deeply into those. Go check out those episodes to learn more about those ones. So the first one that we will kind of take a deep dive into is what I, and I've also always named these genre categories. So forgive me if they're not quite all encompassing, but I call this one television or the lost episode. So usually these are alleged uh, recounts, usually through text, but sometimes through video of quote, lost episodes of usually popular kids shows or a total like, recounting of an original show on a network that you might be familiar with or frightening theories about the show's intention slash creation slash what the show is really about sort of thing. Right. Uh, Like we talk about in the YouTube episode, what these do as well as the category that follows is they they play on like your knowledge of something to like make it super scary. They like establish, hey, this is a thing, you know, really well. And then they undercut it. Whether they do that well, uh, we'll see. What's what's our first what's our first one? Yeah, uh, yeah. So the first one that we will talk about is called Dead Bart, which was uh, originally Ugh. posted on the internet by Game FAQs user yes. K I Simpson. Which is another thing I really love about these creepy pastas is that a lot of them do come from Reddit or 4chan or well-known websites, but a lot but of them just started, yeah, yeah, just random uh, forums. So, so Dead Bart is an alleged lost episode from season one of The Simpsons. In the story, the narrator... (laughs) You can't laugh yet. Shot it from the rooftops. What did the narrator do? The narrator gets in contact with Matt Groening uh, to ask about... Well, no, in the story, he, I think, finds him at a convention, but I've chosen to to include only the most relevant facts. No, he aim instant messages him. (laughs) But so uh, contacts Graining to ask him about this alleged lost episode and Graining tells him how to get to it and then asks him to never speak of it again. Okay, you're going to walk out of this convention, turn northeast, take 50 paces. There will be a man in a car. He'll open the door for you. You have to say the secret password, which is Apu is the is the best character in The Simpsons and it's, and it's not problematic at all. And then he'll take you to it. All right. So once he's completed all these steps, the episode uh, follows the story of Bart. Uh, the Simpsons are on vacation and on the plane ride there, Bart gets is dicking around as he that as rambunctious he little do. scamp does. Um, and he gets boy. sucked out of the plane and is killed. Um, and the, <laughs> oh, the, the, no! thing, the thing the author notes is that the shot following is a near photorealistic drawing of his corpse. And this photorealism is a extremely common trope and especially the television creepypastas. But anyone really where just there is something that people find inherently scary or horrifying about 
a cartoon style right. with like photorealistic eyes. Right. The scary thing about that is not that it's a corpse. It's that it's a photorealistic depiction of Bart Simpson. They could have just made the episode be human Bart rather than dead Bart where everything else is the same. It's a totally normal episode of the Simpsons. But when Bart Simpson says, eat my shorts to to the principal, he looks like a real human. What Bart would look like as a person. That would be very scary. That's horror. So the entirety of the second act of this episode is the family weeping around the kitchen table as the episode begins to deteriorate in like static and everything. And so the third act takes place a year later um, in a deserted Springfield where they go to visit Bart's grave, which is has been open this whole time. And this is whack. And in the rest (laughs) of this graveyard are tombstones with the names of every guest star who's ever appeared on The Simpsons uh, on them, as well as the date of their death. Now, for those who had already passed by the time this creepypasta was written, um, the dates of death were correct. But for every other tombstone in that graveyard, every other celebrity, the dates of death were exactly the same. And it was December 22nd, 2012. (laughs) They predicted the Mayan end of the world. Now, I don't deserve a medal for poking plot holes into a creepypasta, mm-hmm. but if it's only the first season of The Simpsons, are do the tombstones have the accurate predictions of which celebrities would guest star on The Simpsons uh, yeah. in the future? Okay, yes. that's neat. Then we could know when The Simpsons ended, because we could just I go said- to like the youngest person. But what if it's like a celebrity you've never person? heard of? Like, what if <gasps> some celebrity... Adam, what if our names named- were on there? <laughs> What if we guest star on the, the, the day when the Simpsons animators finally actually do this episode and then we're invited to guest star and then they kill us in cold blood? Yeah. Um, but what if in like 2049, some guy, some young celebrity made, named like Chad McPeterson is a mm-hmm. guest star? We would have no way of is that knowing. an Irish. Is that Irish? Chad McPeterson. <laughs> Yeah, the great McPeterson clan. But um, anyhow, I remember really liking this creepypasta as a kid and reading back. I also still like it. Like inherently, these television ones are a little silly just because they're associated with such innocuous media. But like as far as the composition of like a horror story goes, I like this one because it's simple which it doesn't yeah. sound simple. Um, I will say, like, even though the the whole thing at the end with all the tombstones kind of like comes from out of left field, it is still scary as like a concept. Yeah, it, it, this is kind of the perfect creepypasta to start with because it does provide like a pretty good base layer of like some of these are well composed, like short horror stories. And they use their like reference material like The Simpsons as just kind of a jumping off point. And like if this was just a horror story about a family on a TV show where this episode is lost and the very episode deteriorates and loses all narrative structure, like that's really interesting on its face. And to some people, me linking it to something like The Simpsons makes it silly, but to others, it like enhances it in a way that's like (laughs) a creepypasta about a non-existent show in this exact format wouldn't get any views nobody would read it yeah but because they happen to write about the simpsons people read it and that's good good yeah, for you think, you got the views 
I think on the flip side too, um, having it be The Simpsons and be an, a TV show that exists adds to that kind of making something that you are familiar and comfortable with horrifying. Yeah, for sure. Um, which is it a just, common it requires trend a, a lot bit of a Yeah, it requires a bit longer of a leap, like to, uh, the, what is it called? Um, uh, oh, suspension the, of disbelief. Yeah. It takes a bit of a, a leap uh, to get to, sus- to suspend your disbelief to really kind of get into these. But once you do, they can be like fun. Yeah. So a similar one that we'll also talk about and a very infamous one uh, this one is called Squidward Suicide. It was originally posted uh, by a 7chan and a Reddit user uh, entitled Suicide Squidward. Mm-hmm. This is this guy woke of, up with this idea in the middle of the night and he's like, Ugh, I need I to get to on the slash X. But so uh, this one follows a similar format as Dead Bart does. So our narrator was an intern at Nickelodeon in 2005 and got to view an episode of SpongeBob before it aired, as the animators there do. Mm-hmm. Now, he said that often animators would put in, uh, like, fun jokes for the title cards for the animator screenings, just as, like, a fun thing. So when an episode began entitled Squidward Suicide, everyone just thought it was kind of a dark joke. And it started off normally with uh, Squidward practicing his clarinet. Oh, this is about as SpongeBob SquarePants, if you haven't picked uh, yeah, up on the, that yet. The Pants of Square. Yeah, um, so it starts off pretty normally with Squidward practicing his clarinet for a concert until it cuts to the concert that he's playing at and everyone in the crowd starts booing him very violently, including SpongeBob, which is very out of character for him. Yeah, but good for him, finally. Everyone in this crowd has hyper-realistic eyes. There we go again. Mm, yes. Take a shot. Don't take a shot every time you read one of these and there's hyper-realistic eyes because you will die. You will die. Yeah. Um, so then it cuts to a very quiet, minute-long shot of Squidward crying in his bedrooms and other sort of creepy, deteriorating, deteriorating things start to unfurl, including uh-huh. some split-second photos of dead bodies um squidward begins crying blood and staring at the viewer in black and white which is probably the most iconic image of the story you've probably seen it of this black and white squidward with like these big eyes and these like bloody tears um before the story the episode ends with him shooting himself with a shotgun hmm so uh (laughs) sure um you've already pointed out this is this my section of the episode is i'm i'm the creepy pasta buster like on mythbusters no like this is fine but the thing that gets me is this very very long very long sequence of squidward walking back and you can just hear the spongebob music in the back where it goes down now 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 yeah imagining this with the spongebob music is horrifying yeah that's wild uh yeah you want to hear something oh, wilder, Devin? The split second. Hey, Devin. I, we'll get to that. No, no, we'll get to that. The split second photos of dead bodies. You don't need to do that to uh, people. Be confident. Hey, 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 it's been a while. It's been a while since we've gotten into the ASMR podcast. Hey, hey, all you creepypasta authors out there, be confident in your horror writing. If your stuff is scary enough, you don't have to throw no stinking dead bodies in there. You're a good horror writer without that. All right, back to the podcast. Yeah, you want to hear something super duper wild yeah whack i was <laughs> no no whack, what, what whack what me we, out which is weird um so in september of 2019 the year of our lord september 2019 
last year during the great hiatus of the great american scream last year less than a year ago the spongebob animators put a reference to this creepypasta into an episode of spongebob squarepants thank you so in this episode which was entitled spongebob in random land which was this like dolly kind of episode where spongebob and squidward were like navigating this weird uh surrealist land i Uh don't know i only watched this portion but so squid all these doors appear and squidward is opening doors to see these like alternate like funhouse mirror style versions of himself and he opens one door and it's a shot of his bedroom before a terrifying picture of squidward with photorealistic eyes and black tears appears accompanied with the scream a like, you can't even say that this is not a reference to the creepypasta because it looks exactly like the picture from it. What? There's a person who years ago read the Squidward suicide creepypasta and went, I know what I have to do and went to school for art and animation and ended up at Nickelodeon and said, yes, this is my magnum opus. And they put that shot in the thing. And the board, the the writer's room was like, that seems a little odd. That's oddly specific that you have the shot idea. And he's like, no, 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 trust me. And then he scared an entire, however many million people watch every episode of SpongeBob. It's a jump scare on a children's show. On, like, on the SquarePants one. I trust the SquarePants. Like that <laughs> is a safe place for me. I trust the Bob of Sponge. And like, Good for this creepypasta writer for becoming that culturally relevant. Yeah, he but made this it. This is very cursed. <laughs> um, the phrase, the phrase, good for that creepy, that creepypasta artist to achieve for achieving that level of relevance. But this is cursed. Could describe any creepypasta <laughs> that is level that has reached a certain level of relevance. Um, the last uh, television esque creepypasta we will talk about is not of the lost episode genre, and it is also my favorite creepypasta of all time. Yeah, it's also good, which is nice. It's uh, Candle Cove. Uh, it is written by Chris Straub, who is the same guy who makes Local Fifty Eight. So yes, one of the heroes of this podcast. Inherently, I would adore it. So uh, Candle Cove is an original story from two thousand nine. It was told uh, via a thread on the Net Nostalgia forums, which are not a real website, but uh, in which a group of users discuss a show from their childhood's Candle Cove. Um, The show is about a girl named Janice who is friends with a bunch of puppet pirates. Uh, They begin to discuss kind of the creepier aspects of the show, such as the villain, the skin taker, who wore a cloak of children's skin and an episode that consisted entirely of everyone just screaming and flailing for the whole episode. And then at the end, here's the big M. Night Shyamalan twist. When one user asks his mother about the show, she tells him that whenever he sat down to, quote, watch Candle Cove, he was only watching static on the screen. I love this. I read this earlier today. So good. There are so many levels like it it just shows that Chris Straub is very talented, like to be oddly specific about like setting up this show with Janice and her puppet friends and like all this stuff. And then, you know, uh, leading the discussion, also couching it as a forum discussion. Super interesting. Then delving into the creepier aspects and throwing in a little bit of absurdity with the skin taker, which is wild. Then an episode of flailing and screaming that was just i mean we had a teacher at nyu who went around spain doing a show where they just yelled at the end for 10 minutes that's not scary that's just art but chris i have one thing why would a mother allow their child to sit in front of a television screen that's only show static are you giving chris notes right now 
Yeah, I am. For when he's uh, when he's inevitably on this podcast. What? I mean, I say that, but my mom would let me do. My yeah, mom my would mom would let me do that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, this pod, this group pass is great. I got a television adaption on the sci-fi series Channel Zero in 2016. So like yes. each season is a different creepypasta. And the first season was Candle Cove. Go watch it. It's all on the internet. Yeah, good for sci-fi. Just really going there. Really just doing yeah. it. Good for them. Well, the sh- it wasn't like the show Candle Cove. It was like a right. mystery show. about Like they didn't just do the television show Candle Cove. They did the story. Right. It's the, it's, uh. Are you afraid of the dark or goosebumps? But instead of goosebumps novels, it's it's creepy pastas. Yeah, it's exactly. Like adult goosebumps. Yeah, it's great. Um, but so kind you. of kind of adjacent to the lost episode or television genre, um, there's a lot of creepy pastas that involve video games too. Yes, same same idea, same concept: a creepy or corrupted video game. Um, and what's really cool about a lot of these is that fans will often like, if they're simple enough, will recreate some of these games that you can actually play them. Um, one of the most notorious examples is uh, Ben Drowned by Alex Hall, yes. uh, which is based off of Legend of Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, obviously. So our narrator gets a free Majora's Mask cartridge from a strange old man at a garage sale, which As you I do. like the concept of already. Um, yes. And it goes about as well as you would expect. It's quite a long saga. Like this creepypasta was told over years, which is yeah. a lot of things. And for, it jumped uh, the shark a few times. Well, it, bec- it becomes kind of a, a blog, sort of, where people can kind of regularly check in and see yeah. how this person is doing and what developments are in the story. But kind of the main idea is that he discovers that the game is haunted by the previous owner, a child named Ben, who drowned. Hence and, the uh, title. You know, yeah, the titular Ben, who drowned. Yeah. Um, <laughs> after doing the fourth day glitch, which is something that you can do in any copies of Major- copy of Majora's Mask, where you can, I guess... Glitch the game so you repeat the fourth day in case you lose well, and the moon Majora's lands Mask, on you. More Majora's Mask happens over three days. So the fourth oh, day I is see. like, yes. yeah, yes, um, it's supposed to be impossible. Yeah. But so uh, when he does that, the game completely wigs out and starts displaying a new text, including the phrases. You shouldn't have done that dot dot dot. And you've Ooh. met with a terrible fate, haven't you? Which kind of became like the catchphrases of these. Yes. This creepypasta. A, an incredible meme. Yeah, yes. Um, so there's a lot of spooky happenings and a lot of installments of this. And eventually it ends with him destroying his laptop and burning the cartridge, presumably ridding himself of the ghost. Um, there is way too much that happens in the story to summarize Absolutely. it accurately. But go check it out if you are so inclined, especially if you like Legend of Zelda. Yes, this is uh, the creepypasta I have the most experience with. There's a very good peanut butter gamer video about it. Um, which is where I was introduced to it. It also, video games as a whole are such an interesting genre of creepypasta because a lot of them focus on this kind of, the ability of video games to be like like really old but new at the same time. Like you can go to a garage sale and find a 30-year-old video game and that's like a weird thing because it's technology. Like it's just a very interesting medium to have creepypastas written about it and good for that old man for keeping... What if this is probably already canon, but what if that old man is Ben's dad and he's like, please take my son? No, I think it is like his dad or his grandpa. Yeah. And he Um, goes, here, take this cartridge. My son is in it. (laughs) But so the other uh, creepypasta video game that I want to mention is Mr. Bones Wild Ride. Mr. Um, Bones Wild Ride. Which is based in Roller Coaster Tycoon and it is by an anonymous 4chan user. 
So come on, out of the woodwork, anonymous fortune user. We need are. to know who the genius is. But so on uh, the uh, V board of 4chan, which is the video, for video game games, board, yeah. Um, somebody shared a ride they made for Roller Coaster Tycoon called Mr. Bones Wild Ride. Um, yes. So the ride, which is decorated in these like jaunty skeletons and top hats, had a track length of 30,696 feet. Like and six miles. A ride time of 70 actual us minutes or four right. years in the game. So <laughs> he had passengers on this screaming. I want to get off Mr. Bones' wild ride. But when they finally got off, they were led out onto a two-hour-long path that ended back at the entrance of the ride with a sign that says, Mr. Bones says the ride never ends. So yes, our narrator... This is, classic, this is a classic meme of, of Slash V. That's like that's not where the creepypasta started. That was just a big meme joke that somebody made. And it's absolutely genius. Like people have talked about how 2020 is just we all want to get off Mr. Bones Wild Ride. <laughs> but so in this particular adaption, our narrator goes to Bush Gardens and book. Let me let me say. Wait, before I say this. What a the act- Wait. Before I say this, the actual post of like this post of somebody making Mr. Bones wild ride, that is all real. That's 100 percent. Like right. this is something someone yeah. did. This next part is like the creepypasta. The creepypasta. So right. Our narrator goes to Bush Gardens and boards <laughs> a new ride, not advertised and with no sign outside of it, which as a theme park enthusiast, I would advise you not do. But so uh, he, it isn't until he is buckled in by his safety restraints that he sees the 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 sign before the ride begins. Mr. Bones' wild ride, <laughs> and then he screams, and then all the attendants, including the one who who checked his lap bar, and all the other riders, reveal, take off their masks to reveal they're just skeletons. <laughs> That's so funny. The specific pull of Bush Gardens is so good. Just to be yeah. like, I went to Carowinds and a skeleton swooped also, me away. Because like they know that this wouldn't happen at a theme park like Disney or Universal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is a Bush Gardens move. <laughs> this is a Bush Gardens joint. Oh, that's funny. That's good. All right. Yeah, let's veer away from this uh, horrifying familiarity area and talk about some more original stuff. Um, yes. So there's a lot of creepypastas that involve supernatural beings of any variety, um, and they usually end up appearing like in multiple stories. So people will write their own creepypastas about their experience with this supernatural entity. And we cannot do an episode about creepypasta without talking without, about Slenderman. Right. Without talking about our Lord and Savior, the Slendersman. The Slenderman. So Slenderman, or the Slenderman, was originally created by Eric Knudsen. I don't know exactly where to begin because he could warrant yeah. his own episode and perhaps will. He probably will, yeah. Um, but we'll just start the basics. Um, he's kind of inspired by H.P. Lovecraft and that kind of style of horror. Um, so Knudsen created Slenderman for an online scary photo contest where he photoshopped this figure into the backgrounds of like older photos of children. Um, right. And this went viral and began to appear in a number of different narratives, most notably in the 2012 video game Slender the Eight Pages. Right, which is a an expansion of a slightly smaller game just called Slender. Right. That was released um, so first, yeah. He is a, a described as a tall, thin, white figure with either tentacle-like arms or just tentacles, depending on who you ask. Yeah, um, he's like me at a brunch. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> wearing a black suit and tie, um, he, like Devin at a brunch. Um, Me at a brunch, he, yes. He lurks in forests or other abandoned places, and proximity to him induces what is called slender sickness, which is a rapid onset of paranoia, nosebleeds, nightmares, and delusions. He is said to usually target children and teenagers and uh, drives them to act insane on his behalf. Slender Man is basically just a hot woman in an anime. Yeah. <laughs> People, uh, teenage boys come by him and they get cover- they get filled with paranoia and delusions and nosebleeds. I mean, sure. Yeah, I guess. Sure. <laughs> the um, stupid joke. He's a great example of kind of a creepypasta getting being like collaborated on by everyone because yeah. this kind of what we know of Slenderman is not all like Nudson's work. A lot of it is stuff that people have created headcanons that have become canon. So it's kind of this, again, like collaborative storytelling. He had a pretty terrible movie in 2018. It was a disappointing. Yeah, it's very bad. Uh, Slenderman is kind of the poster child of internet horror. Like he's the perfect example of like, I was about to say best case scenario, but I'll kind of contradict myself in a second. But one of the best ways that like the internet comes together and creates lore and like one person made these pictures and then other people started making the pictures too. And then some people like made posts that like were unironic and were like, oh, I used to see him when I woke up and like create this kind of web of of believability around a monster. The problem comes with like the way it interacted with children and the tragic stabbing that occurred mm-hmm. with Slenderman. And uh, we've talked about that in a previous episode. But yeah, it is it is definitely the most notable piece of creepypasta media. Yeah, definitely. And I also I want to talk about a another supernatural creepypasta that is slightly less well known, but if I understand yes. correctly, older than Slenderman. So um, this one and is older Zal- than time itself. <laughs> this one is Zalgo, uh, created by Dave Kelly. And this one is not even kind of abstract. It's very abstract. So I'm going to try my best to describe it to you in an audio medium. Yeah. So Zalgo, the creature, is a malevolent entity that has no real recognized form. Although some say that he has seven mouths speaking in six foul tongues. What's that seven mouth doing? What that seven mouth do? But so according to the creator, he is merely, quote, something horrible, something that's coming, something that's coming soon. And so Zalgo, the creepypasta, the basic. The Black Widow movie. (laughs) The basic idea is that it makes its presence known through illustrations in print media, mostly newspaper comics. Now, this is an audio medium and newspaper comics are a solely visual medium. But in our outline, I have provided Devin with a visual aid. So I'm going to ask him to describe what is going on in this Zalgo comic. So it's it's Garfield. Yes, it is a selection from Garfield. It's a Garfield strip. And the first uh, we have three panels. Leftmost panel, we have John Arbuckle reading a book next to a jar of cookies. The second one, there's some blood on the ceiling and blood in John Arbuckle's eyes. He has looked towards the cookie jar. The cookie jar is saying he comes in a kind of Slender Man font. And then the third and final, uh, more blood on the wall. John Arbuckle's eyes have turned black. Cookie jar full of blood. Tentacle coming out of cookie jar. There's some blood on the table too. John Arbuckle has put down the book and he is saying Zalgo in uh, also Slender Man-esque font. This is great. This is amazing because it scares kids but makes adults laugh. It's the incredible. <laughs> yeah, the I best. do think Zalgo is scary, but it also cracks me up. It's very funny. <laughs> the idea, be like, this is 
the thing is like Garfield is already like we already make memes of, of Garfield everywhere of like changing his strips to be actually funny and like all that stuff taking him out of it so on an internet screen me seeing this Garfield thing is funny but if you picture seeing it in like a newspaper that's really interesting that's like oh that could actually be scary yeah there's another notable example that I didn't put in here it's from an Archie comic like it's in a couple different ones and I think the original one that he created was from Family Circus um, so it happens in, in a couple of different ones. They're really fun. If you Google like Zalgo comic and just hit images, you will get a treasure trove of wonderful Zalgo Incredible. comics. They're I great. like the idea of an Archie one where it's Jughead and he's somebody edits the TV part where <laughs> Jughead's like, I'm a weird guy. <laughs> Look at my hat. Except I don't he think that was Zalgo. ever in the comic. <laughs> no, but I want it to be the TV version. And then he Zalgo comes out of him. He becomes Zalgo. <laughs> don't you get it? I'm a weird guy. And then he morphs into Zalgo. <laughs> <laughs> but so um, the, the, the final genre that I would like to talk about, I don't have a great name for. I have called this genre science. Um, but this yeah, is, they're this like is, the ones most couched in reality. Like they yeah, want to, they're presented as facts. Like these are said. ones that are they're presented as studies or thought experiments or concepts or things that we are supposed to accept as fact, like things in our world. Um, right. And one of the most famous, not even of this genre, but creepypastas ever, is the Russian sleep experiment. Yes, it's pretty much elevated to urban legend status. Like there's a page on Snopes debunking it being real because so many people actually do think it's real right um, and this I actually, one i would say is the one you would want to skip if you're worried about gore and gross stuff this yeah is this the one. was pretty explicit i actually went digging and i could not find the original author's name of this creepypasta which we is a shame because it. it's really good yeah um, but so the story tells of a, a soviet experiment in the 1940s in which five political prisoners were sealed in a gas chamber with a stimulant meant to keep them awake for 30 days as kind of a testing for a new military drug they begin behaving normally for the first few days but obviously things take a turn um, they start screaming uncontrollably, smearing their own feces everywhere, mutilating themselves, auto-cannibalizing themselves, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they refuse to leave the chamber and beg for the gas again when it's turned off. And a lot goes down. But when one of the scientists asks who they are, the subject replies, have you forgotten so easily? We are you. We are the madness that lurks within you all, begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what you hide from in your beds every night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go to the nocturnal heaven haven where we cannot tread. Hell yeah, brother. I love yeah, it. Yeah, this is metal as hell. I, it's so goddamn cool. There's so much about it, like couching it as a Soviet experiment that like lends to the credibility of an urban legend because you're like, oh, who really knows? Um, the... The, the goof factor that I I will introduce into it is the idea of a scientist who opens the door and goes, who are you? <laughs> Even though they're the ones conducting the experiment. I think they know who they are. Um, and w another thing about this one, too, is that and you can't get it from this summarizing medium that we're doing, but it is just a very well written. Right. Like a lot of creepypastas kind of fall into the category. And if like and then he turned around dot 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 and there yeah. was blood dot dot dot. <laughs> this one is very well written. Yeah, it's just a great story. Check it out. It is very explicit and very scary, but it's great. Yes, but it's very good. It literally reads like a Stephen King novel. It's very good. Yeah, this second one is called uh, Please Wake Up. This one is also pretty freaky. 
And the way that it appears on the internet is as a, usually a picture of a note with this note written on it saying that, uh, it has been reported that some victims of torture during the act would retreat into a fantasy world from which they could not wake up. In this catatonic state, the victim lived in a world just like their normal one, except they weren't being tortured. The only way they realized they needed to wake up was a note they found in their fantasy world. It would tell them about their condition and tell them to wake up. Even then, it would often take months until they were ready to discard their fantasy world and please wake up. Right. This one scared me a lot as a kid. Yes, this one is my worst nightmare because of the idea of living days and then waking up and being like oh, i got i got to do it again <laughs> like that's so frustrating what if i had a big school test and i did real good in it in the fantasy world and then i come out and i have to study again <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of variations on this one, too, including one that starts with if you're reading this, you've been in a coma for 30 years. Very good. Yeah, these ones are very scary, especially if you struggle with disassociation. These can be extremely frightening. Yes, that was me Um, as a teenager was like reading these and being like, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. These ones are really scary. I I think they're very like as a piece of horror expertly, like well written and well crafted, just very frightening. Um, and yep. then the last one that we will talk about, yes. um, which honestly, I'll be honest, I didn't realize was entirely fake until I was an adult. Like yeah, I grew I was, up thinking I was, this was, I was real. today years old. <laughs> but so this one is uh, commonly referred to this man or have you seen this man? And the story goes that in January 2006 in New York. The patient of a well-known psychiatrist draws the face of a man that has been repeatedly appearing in her dreams. Uh, Soon, the other patients of the psychiatrist begin to identify this picture as a man they've seen in their dreams, but never in real life. From January 2006 until today, at least 2,000 people around the world have claimed they've seen this man in their dreams, and there has never been identification of this man existing in real life. Um, now, there was a website, there is currently still a website, tracking this man, thisman.org. It was created mm-hmm. in 2008 and began getting media attention in 2009. And then many people came forward and claimed to have seen this man in their dreams. And in 2010, the woman who created the website, Andrea Natella, confirmed it to be a hoax. It was a guerrilla marketing yes. stunt, allegedly for an unreleased Brian Bertino film. Hmm. But I remember seeing this around Facebook and around, oh, like, yeah. I saw this everywhere. Like, yeah, this man was, appears in everyone's dreams. Yeah, it was one of those things that would, like, get sent around on, like, meme apps and stuff. You would, like, see it around. I think the 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 patented Devin Wright goof factor in this one is why would a psychiatrist, like, why did he show the picture to other people? In what world do you go, was, I saw was, this man in my dream. And he goes, all right, let me file that away. And then randomly, the next person who probably has a totally different set of uh, uh, different issues that they're they're getting help with goes, oh, yeah, well, uh, you know, this month has been a little bit rough. I've had some attention issues. And he goes, oh, OK, OK. Have you seen this man? <laughs> well, I hate to <laughs> Or did your... he pin it? I imagine he pinned it on a corkboard behind his desk. And so he sits I... down and goes, wait a minute. I'm, no, I'm going to burst your goof bubble right now. Is it the story Don't says burst that. my goof. But no, the story says that he left it on his desk and another patient saw it. <laughs> but HIPAA, dude. 
Um, But I think this one is really good because it's really creepy and it's also just vague enough to be a thing. Yeah. Also, the dude is just vague enough to appear. Yeah, I put a picture of this man in the uh, outline. So, Devin, you did such a good job with Zalgo. Please describe the man you were seeing. This man looks like Pee Wee Herman. If you took his head and squished it to be a little more round. He looks like Pee Wee Herman went through a steamroller. Yeah, he looks like in like Tom and Jerry. If Tom got like ran over by a by a the rolly thing, the steamroller, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And became like a pancake man and slowly floated to the ground. (laughs) If that happened to Pee Wee Herman, this man would be that. He also has eyebrows that are moth caterpillars. Yeah. And they almost connect in the middle. But not quite. Yeah. Like that one guy we all we all knew in in middle school who refused to pluck his unibrow. Yeah, so out of uh, all these that we've discussed, Devin, which one was your favorite? Um, it's it's got to be uh, from from a goof standpoint, it's got to be Zalgo, and from a genuine, I loved reading it. It was Candle Cove. Yeah, Candle Cove, so good. Zalgo and Candle Cove are also two of my favorites, and Candle Cove will always be my favorite creepypasta. But after this, I am all about Zalgo. I'm a big. I'm all, we're, I'm all about Zalgo, babe. That would be the name of this episode if we hadn't. <laughs> goof names it'll be the subtitle of this episode all about zalgo Zalgo to the hero side of this podcast yes and speaking of heroes this is my official call to chris straub to come onto this podcast i want to talk to you so bad so bad you're so smart and so good at what you do uh there's yeah uh creepypastas are fun yeah go, there's literally sometimes. thousands more we barely scratch the surface so yeah please. and the creepypasta wiki has a random button you can just random it. Yeah, go check them out. They are great. Like you're gonna find some golden golden nuggets. You're gonna golden find them some, their hills. You're gonna find some trash nuggets. Some poop and some gold. But other than that, I think that'll do it for us. So thank yeah. you so much for listening to this episode of the Great American Scream. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rate or review on whatever podcast service you happen to use. If that's available, we are available wherever you get your podcasts. That now includes Spotify. And the best way to spread the word about this show is to tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best form of advertisement. And if you have a friend who likes to get spooked, be sure to share it with that friend. Adam, can you pimp our social medias? Yes, you can check us out on Facebook at The Great American Scream or on Twitter at Great Scream Pod. If there is something you would like us to talk about on the show, you can tweet or post at us using the hashtag TGAM. Let us know what you want to hear about or what spooky things you find. Hashtag TGAS. Damn it. I thought (laughs) about it, too. We are so we are free from the curse. T-G-A-S is the hashtag, hashtag once T-G-A-S. Again. Tell us what you want to hear about on the show. Send us your favorite creepypasta. Send me specifically your favorite Zago comic. Yes, please send us your favorite Zago comic. I want them to fill my AOL inbox <laughs> with pictures of Zalgo. Uh, a special thank you goes out to Stevie Viola, who made our theme music. You can check him out on Twitter and on YouTube. Yeah, and uh, thank you again to Rachel Shu who just designed our brand new fancy logo stuff. Yes, I believe that is it for us. Uh, if that's it for you, Adam, I have been uh, Devin Wright. It for me. I have been Adam O'Connell. And hopefully you have been spooked, and now you will go out and spook more. But you will do it safely. Yes, like Jesus said, go and spook on more. <laughs> <laughs>